know. December issue of Rolling Stone magazine has, uh, they don't really call it resolutions because, you know, it's Rolling Stone. Some of you would be like, Rolling Stone, what's that? Well, it's a stone that rolls. Your Rolling Stone bucket list uh, for 2023, they're not much into resolutions. Number one on the bucket list, go volcano boarding. You literally surf down a volcano. Um, hang out, although it doesn't say that. It says something different. But hang out with Snoop, Martha, and Willie. Make an epic pilgrimage to see something totally stupid. Eat something weird that could kill you. Spend a weekend in Vegas with no car and no hotel. I'm not sure about that one. How about this one? Zip line across the Grand Canyon. There's a whole bunch in here that I really can't say. Spend the night, this one you can do, spend the night at the John Bon Jovi rest stop on the Golden State Parkway. There's a big neon guitar up front, a talking John Bon Jovi hologram, a slippery one wet platinum record next to the Starbucks, and a bathroom that's seen a million faces. Do a kickflip. What's a kickflip? Do it. Is that where you go like you... Don't do it? Skip that one. What is, is it bad? Did I just say something bad? Oh, it's a skateboard thing. Okay, got it. Sounds great. Choose your least favorite artist and spend a weekend forcing yourself to like them. Um, tell your life story to a cactus. Um, I love this one. Don't start a podcast because there's enough bad ones out there. And um, that's probably... You know, one thing that I think I need to do in 2023 is get serious about blood. I'm O negative. I've confessed that before. Which means, okay, if we're like in a bad situation or if you're in a bad situation, you want me as your friend. All that is to say, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, it's page 958. Fairness in conversation, okay, Paul's pretty wound up. St. Paul is, is on fire, all right? And, and he's, 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 it's pretty strong language, okay? And you're like thinking, okay, so are you like trying to, no, I'm not trying to send any sort of message. We're, we're trying to get someplace. So, but be fair warned, 1 Corinthians isn't a happy letter. Starting in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Paul's talking. Because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. It gets better. For in the first place, when you come together at church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Okay, strong words. Totally, Paul isn't happy. Now, the overarching challenge that Paul has with the Corinthian church is that they seem to view themselves as, as individuals lacking in unity, specializing in distinctions. And in this specific situation, he's talking about how they celebrate the Lord's Supper. It seems as though there's a socioeconomic division that's happening here. It seems as though when they celebrate the Lord's Supper, there's a group of folks who kind of celebrate or start the feast early, okay? They're kind of the upper crustaceans, and they're having a full meal before the meal. 
fully provisioned with all of the things, food and wine. And then when everyone in the church comes to the feast, we find the folks with the most dough have full bellies and slurred speech, and then they start the Lord's table. And Paul's like, you want me to pat you on the back? Not just no, no. And they are violating a central tenant, one that Paul spends a lot of time undoing. They are ignoring a central tenant. They're missing the common reality of being in Christ, of being united with Jesus. They are more concerned about their own individual appetites than they are concerned for one another. Now, the specific context is the first century. It's the Corinthian church. It's addressing how they deal with communion. It's addressing this grand and glorious feast that happens before the communion table for some of the people. Paul's like, doesn't work. But is there a principle that we can think about this one? Do we do this today? Do we create divisions among us? Even close friends over stuff that's not important. Do we embrace a lack of unity because the individual is so important compared to the whole? He then moves, moves to this beautiful mystery. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Now there's some disagreement as to what Paul is exactly communicating here. Not so much exactly what he's communicating, but what this phrase means, okay? Some would hold that <clears throat> this is one of those things, like when Paul was on the Damascus Road, the light shines, and Paul's like, whoa, what's going on, you know? And Jesus is talking to Paul, okay? So it's an experience like that. Or does the phrase mean, no, this is how the church is operating. This is the tradition of the Lord in the first century what I received from the Lord. You can choose which way you want to take it. What I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Those set of verses should be very familiar to you. We repeat them frequently on Communion Sundays, which January 1st is a Communion Sunday. Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood. Oh, how we've wrestled with that one in the history of the church. how we've been divided about that one in the history of the church. Some people are quick to point out, well, it's really not those words. It's a representation 
<laughs> if it's a representation, Jesus would have said that. And then there's others who's like, yeah, I'm not sure that I'm actually drinking blood when I'm doing communion, which I would agree with. There's a mystery here, right? And I think it's a mystery that God wants us to have. Because in the first century, assuming that Jesus is the Son of God, which is an assumption that I hold in very high esteem, he probably knew that we would wrestle with this one. And if Jesus wanted to say, this represents, he could have said that. And if Jesus wanted to say, this is actual blood, he could have said that. These words come from three places in Scripture, four if you count 1 Corinthians. Matthew and Mark have the shortest versions. If you want to look these up later, Matthew 26, verses 26 through 28. Mark chapter 14, verses 24 through 25. Mark is the shortest. Okay, he is the shortest gospel. He has the shortest version. It's like, this is my body, this is my blood. Boom, full stop. Matthew adds a little bit to it, says, eat this, drink this. And then in Luke, we have a difference, okay? Difference is where we see the word remembrance for the first time that we also see in 1 Corinthians. Now, if we understand our New Testament accurately, we actually know that the letter to 1 Corinthians is in circulation in the first century before the Gospels are written, and so that one's a little bit of an interesting notion. And so this, perhaps, is that of which Paul speaks, what I received from the Lord. In Luke 22 and 1 Corinthians 11, we see these changes, this addition of remembrance and a new covenant. What all of them agree on is the essentials of the reality that Jesus takes the Passover meal and gives new meaning to what is on the table, most notably the bread and the wine. And whether or not you go more towards a representative view of the elements or if you come out of a Catholic faith tradition, a rejection of that perhaps, what the Lord's Supper is about is remembering two things. That and what? It's remembering that Jesus died. And it's remembering what? What has happened because of that death? Our salvation through his life and death and resurrection. A blood sacrifice solving an existing problem that all of us possess. The that and the what is the point where we all come together. The centrality of Christ, the spokes of a wheel uniting at the hub, the center. And it's a beautiful mystery because Christ said, you we should do this. The text goes on, verses 27 through 32, and the words go from strong words to stronger words. This is the part of 1 Corinthians 11 that you probably haven't heard often on a Sunday morning. 
Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. That should cause us pause. We should read that verse and have a full stop. Let a person examine himself or herself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on him or herself. Again, that verse should cause us pause. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So the stronger words for the Corinthian church is how you're doing your thing, to do it that way, to have this grand and glorious feast and everyone gets good and liquored up, and then they break the bread and said, do this in remembrance of me. It's not safe ground. It's not safe ground. It's dangerous ground. And the example is the Lord's Supper. But again, I think the principle is the elevation of self over the reality of the community. Paul says there are consequences for this behavior. Sickness, even death. And I want us to be careful. Paul wants us to be careful. Paul says you're messing with something that you do not fully understand. It's a mystery that's been given to you to remember Jesus Christ, to do this in remembrance. And it's not something we should be cavalier about. Paul recommends that we examine our lives. What exists in me that is more about self than about the community? Specifically, what sin exists in my life? What have I done and what have I left undone? It's not something to get freaked out about. It's not something that we use as a cudgel on someone else, okay? This isn't, oh, you're sick. <laughs> Looks like you partook of communion when you shouldn't have. No, no, that's not the intent. The intent isn't another tool that we use to judge someone else who we should be in unity with because of our common relationship with Jesus Christ. That's not what it's about. It's about the individual in a corporate community asking the question of themselves, what thoughts, words, actions, behaviors in my life are inconsistent with the life of Jesus Christ? And if you're wondering whether or not you have any, ask your spouse. Ask a friend. Ask me. I'll tell you. Ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit will tell you. Paul says, let us be known for judging our own lives, not for judging someone else's. Paul says, let us be known for, for understanding where we stand with sober judgment, who we are, how much we need a Savior, the what and the that, right? 
and how much my life is not my life. And I still fight with this one. I still want my life to be my life. I still want my life. I still want to do the stuff that I want to do. But my life is not my life. My life belongs to Jesus. Your life, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, is not your life. It's not your life. We are bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Our lives do not belong to us. They belong to Jesus Christ. The text concludes 33 through 34. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, tie on the feed bag at home so that when you come together, that's an extra biblical comment that I added. Thought it'd be thought you'd laugh earlier, and now you're just polite humor. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. And about the other things, I'll give you directions when I come. I love that. And there's one more thing. It's like Festivus, right? A list of grievances. And another thing. It's not about me. And if what you want to do is have a big meal, fine. Eat before you come. And then when we come, to this table, come with a heart transparent in its need for a Savior, not a heart that's hungry for food. Come with a heart not focused on individual wants, but community realities. The realities of the kingdom. What's important for the kingdom? The centrality of Christ. What's important to Christ? It's in the book. We're studying it in Matthew, right? Wednesday nights? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22. Matthew 28. Go into the world and preach the gospel. Baptizing. What's important to Christ isn't reposting your latest little top five list. What does it mean to be a part of the church? What does it mean to be a part of the local church? What does it mean to be a part of Timberwood? We use these phrases or words, outreach, spiritual formation, leadership. We could just as easily say inviting, growing, serving. Have you ever been here? The church doesn't meet my needs. I love that one, right? Because that's what Jesus said, right? This isn't working for me. He's on the cross. This isn't working for me. No. No. Why? Because it wasn't about him. It was about the work of the Father. Church doesn't meet my needs. I, in some ways, it's not supposed to. We, as the body of Christ, are supposed to come together. We're supposed to enhance the reputation of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to go into the world and preach and teach and baptize. That's what Jesus said the church is supposed to do. We might also say the church is a house of prayer. That 
we might have some confusion in our brains, like, to whom does the church belong? People will say to me, I've told you this before, you have a very nice church. I said, it's not mine. It's not my church. If someone says that to me, rare will be the situation where I do not correct them. It's not my church. It's not our church. It's his church. It's Jesus Christ's church. Interesting, Benedict died this yesterday, right? In 2006, he wrote this, Jesus Christ is truly the way, the truth, and the life, and the church, with all her insufficiencies, is truly his body. The church exists to enhance the reputation of Jesus, to spread the gospel, to go into the world, to reach the people who look like us and the people who don't look like us. And the gospel doesn't stop at the border. Instead of a list of resolutions, perhaps a list of questions, right? What is the church? Why do we come to church? What does it mean to be a part of this body? Why do we gather? What are we doing? Why do we come to church? I think part of it is we need to get serious about the blood. In just a few minutes, we're going we're gonna to try something that, that's a little bit different, but very, very familiar. Band's going to come out. We're going to play a song, His Mercy is More. And then I'm going to do an intro into communion, like we always do. No shock there. What we're going to add is, is a short period of examine, in quotes, right? That'll be a period of silence. It'll probably be about 30 seconds long. It'll feel like five minutes, especially for me. At the end of that time of examine, we'll have a corporate prayer that'll be on the screens in which we'll ask for forgiveness from a holy God. Again, the words will be on the screen. We can say them together out loud. If you prefer, you can pray them silently. If there are words that aren't true for you, please don't pray them. But the words find their basis in the greatest commandment, which according to Jesus is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind, to love your neighbor as yourself. At the end of that corporate prayer asking for forgiveness, I will act as Jesus commanded in John 20, 23. I will tell you about the forgiveness of sins. And then we will participate in the Lord's Supper. There will be four stations today. You can walk forward. We have four sections. We have five aisles. The outside aisle and the center aisle is direction, traffic moving that way. This aisle over here And the other one on the other side is for traffic going forward. Then we avoid any sort of collisions, bunking heads, concussions, and those sorts of things. Please walk forward, if you wish. You can either choose to be served, or you can self-serve. All the bread is gluten-free. If you want to be served, walk forward to one of the communion representatives with your hands like this. 
if you want to serve yourself, walk forward with your hands like this and reach and grab a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. I like the serving because I imagine Jesus taking a piece of bread and giving it to me. But both ways are designed to be very tactile. And I honestly don't care which way you receive the elements. I just care that your heart is right before you do so. There will be a period of silence as we begin participating in the communion experience. And then the band will slowly build and vocals will enter. And we will end with the song, Build My Life. A strong statement of our intent our commitment, our dependence on the Savior in whose table we have just participated. Sound good?